Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the New Books in Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm here with Nora Bateson to talk to her about her 2016 book, Small Arcs of Larger Circles, Framing Through Other Patterns. Building on the work of her late father, anthropologist, social scientist, and cybernetician Gregory Bateson, and with a nod to her grandfather, William Bateson, biologist and geneticist, who in fact coined the term genetics, Nora plays homage to inquiry that started two generations ago and encourages the reader to healthily question current systems thinking and embrace complexity in all aspects of culture and crisis. Not your, not your typical systems book, Small Arcs of Larger Circles, combines lectures and essays with personal stories, inspired reflections, and original poems, artfully telling a story of systems from Nora's unique perspective as writer, filmmaker, educator, mother, and thinker of, from what I can tell, everything. Ideas aren't tidy guests, right, right, Nora? <laughs> That's Nora right. is based in Sweden, where she heads up the International Bateson Institute. Hello, Nora. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Hello, Kevin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I know we've been trying hard to get you on the New Books Network for some time, so I'm really thrilled we were able to make this work. And uh, we've got little creative uh, time zone differences. So it's it's good evening to you. Uh, good evening from me. Good morning to you. I don't know how to how to describe it, but uh, we're making it work. Yeah. So I I I, um, I want to start with kind of an observation slash question. When starting to read small arcs of larger circles, I got the feeling it was something that you just had to write. It, it, I sensed you were compelled to gather your thoughts and observations, acknowledge your father's work, but also ask some important questions about how we take it forward in a different world than the one he lived in. Am I on the right track here? Is this uh, you know, kind of where, where you're at when you wrote the book? Yeah, I think you're you're right on point there. Um, this was a book that, um, well, first of all, I I sat down to write a book that I would want to read. Um, so that that was the first thing. This feeling that it there was a, a lot of work about systems and complexity, um, but I wanted to write uh, something that came from within it. Um, and also to address the the nature of the actual complexity and systems processes themselves, which is that it's not about the things, it's about the relationship between them, uh, whatever the things are, whether they're the organs of your body or the, you know, the organisms in a forest or the institutions of a society or the members of a family or whatever. Um, but I wanted to uh, actually just kind of create a, a reading experience that was an indi- like an invitation into into the rich complexity itself. I mean, or just you could just say into life, but 
appreciate it through that lens. So for me, systems theory and systems thinking has always been so much more than an intellectual pursuit. It's just been life. I mean, from the time I was, before I was born. <laughs> so so I, I came into this material to begin with um, from the perspective of how does it tell me about my relationship to my, you know, dog or fish tank or friends or work or whatever. But it was never, ever um, extracted into an abstract space of, of um, jargon or or you know the graphs always have kind of puzzled me because they didn't they didn't look at all like like my life right right yeah so, you say that at some point in the book you talk about the you know the squares and the and the and the lines are kind of joining these things up and it, it, you know that 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 just didn't resonate it didn't resonate and and yet i understand completely the useful of it um it's just that it's uh, it's. I think it's easy to get caught in that way of describing and illustrating this this body of ideas, and so much happens in the space between perception and description. So the description really matters, and you know, Korzybski talked about the map is not the territory, right? And and the menu is not the food. And the language of complexity is not the complexity. So I, I have always felt that there's kind of a danger of getting caught in in the particular, uh, you know, Western science illustrative um, discourse around systems and complexity and miss the actual complexity, which is, of course, life. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a statement that you make really early in the book that I have to admit, I, you know, I kind of read over it probably. I highlighted it, but I kind of read over it. And then it was only later that it was really meaningful to me. And I, I went back to it again. And that is, I'm going to read it. Um, to be a participant in a complex system is to desire to be both lost and found in the interrelationships between people, nature, and ideas. And what I took from that, um, and I, what I felt, you know, really it, it, how it just kind of summed up your message was that, and I, it was something that was new to me. So, you know, I, I think that it, um, it really kind of hmm, sunk to the core and, and, and I got it was how I think you're saying that it's okay to be lost, that we kind of need to get lost and it's going to be kind of messy and that, you know, when you talk about these interrelationships, that that it's the, the interesting, messy stuff that goes on in that space between. Um, and then, you know, your your father's um, uh, phrase, the, the patterns that connect kind of stood out. You know, I, I then so later in the book read that one. Ah, I think that's what she's saying here. Am I again, am I? Am I following this the right way? Would you, as as one of your readers, am, am I kind of doing what you'd hoped I'd do? Yeah, exactly. And and I think what one of the things that happens when you are in a sort of affectionate state of being lost and found is that the approach changes, right? If there's a kind of anxiety about being lost and the complexity of life, then that's going to trigger a... Um, you know, a kind of compulsive instinct to get control, 
to keep that lostness from happening, to, to always try to, to, um, to articulate and to shine the light everywhere when so much of what is actually taking place is, is underground. It's, it's like literally in the soil. Yeah. So, so how to um, just recognize that the relationship to the complexity of life is um, in itself a, a, a textured, toned, um, you know, resonanced, melodied, tasteful, colorful process. Yeah. And and I'm using all vocabulary there that has to do with with senses. Right. Yeah. Um, and and how those senses are informing each other so that so that taste isn't just taste it's texture and and love isn't just love or joy isn't just joy it's also the fear and the resentment mm-hmm. and the you know the lostness of of disorientation, but it's also gratitude and it's curiosity. And it's so the, the kind of reductionism that we get into by trying to control things, um, it spans our entire perception of life, not just, um, you know, whatever work you might be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, my reaction to it was also, you know, I, I'd never really, connected um in in this way uh in terms of thinking about the human experience and 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 this sort of systems or complexity thinking of course i'd read a lot about um maybe thinking about the human body as a metaphor for system um and you know in its very sort of mechanical and biological way um, you know, it's, it's, it, it serves as pretty interesting, uh, a pretty interesting metaphor for that, but that's not really what I got from what you were saying. It, it felt much more human. Um, and just in terms of how you're describing it now, um, kind of affirms, affirms kind of that my reaction was, was, uh, was, was maybe what you were, um, what you were seeking to when you, when you wrote this. The next chapter that I want to chat about uh, briefly is the one called Identity with an I. Um, you point out our obsession with I, um, as in individualism, independence, and so on. And I love the poetry in, in this chapter, especially the lines, we, the internal aquarium of trillions of creatures, and we were fed the illusion that we could choose a singular identity before all else, we are of the ecosystems. Can you talk about this? Why is this so important to your discussion and your and your mission? And and why is it important that we rethink our notion of I right now? Uh, yeah, I I think that it's nice that it's been a few years since I wrote this because um, it's really very obvious right now in these months that are uh, so. So filled with the pandemic um, and the coronavirus and what that has brought uh, to the sort of capacity and, and ability to perceive the way multiple processes are coming together. So prior to the pandemic, it was pretty easy to keep to to, to keep it the illusion alive that somehow, you know, things like 
health was different from education, was different from economy, was something different from um, history or culture or, you know, the doctor's office was the doctor's office. Um, But now the doctor's office isn't the doctor's office. And what we're starting to see, some, some, of course, not all, but some people are starting to see that these sort of pots of paint have all tipped into each other. And, and I think this is a really good illustration of why this question of where's the edge of the self is so important. Because if I am acting on behalf of uh, uh, an idea of myself that ends at the edge of my skin or my bank account number, um, I am going to be trying to um, serve the betterment of a system that has been truncated and edited. And, you know, obviously, if you start to really ask that question, can you really be healthy if your family isn't healthy? Can you really be healthy if your community isn't healthy? Can your family and your community be healthy in a world where the natural, you know, the air and the soil and the seas are not healthy? And so if, if my body is made of trillions and trillions of organisms that have been in conversation over hundreds of thousands of years with the world around me, and my mind and my language and my you know, understanding of even what family is have been produced over many generations and the combinings of lots of cultural influences as my ancestors have traveled and found new foods to eat and discovered new ideas and shared new musics and right so where's where's the edge of me and so for me this this sort of blurring of that edge is really an invitation to get beyond the cultural basis of the question, what's in it for me? And that what's in it for me is the justification of basically uh, all the exploitation in the world. So to get beyond that, we're going to have to actually be able to perceive ourselves as extensions of the natural world and each other and vice versa. That the world is an extension of us and we are extended into each other. So that that care is also extended. The the tending, the um, the affection, the the compassion, the forgiveness, the right. So whatever you want to put in there, but basically, so that we can stop being so I don't know such asshole. Yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's. Sometimes that's the it's the perfect word. Yeah, I was trying desperately to get around it, but then it's just just right there. It's just come on, let's yeah. just let's just recognize yeah. that that to hurt you or to to do something that is um is going to deplete part of a, a living system, a living process, is going. Yeah to eventually end up depleting all of the living processes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of leads me into a, a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but I, 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 I'd like to ask it now. Um, 
it just feels right. You talk about hurt and trauma in the book, and there's obviously been a lot of that this year when we've seen a lot of wounds um, reopened, exposing collective and intergenerational trauma, particularly here in the in the U.S. And this could be a discussion all on its own, of course. Um, but talk about how you're thinking about how we can apply um, complexity to the healing process. I mean, you it, 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 toward the end of that that chapter, you kind of lay out these these steps and you contrast these two approaches. And I just thought that was really uh, magical. Um, can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, and with the warm data work, we're doing quite a bit of um, inquiry now into trauma. It's a group. Mm. It's actually called Not Trauma. Um, the not trauma group, because it's, it's, boy, I mean, at this point, we're, we're in a, a moment where even the vocabulary we have to talk about these hurts and these traumas pulls us back into a perception of, for example, um, that hurt being um, contained in an individual through an event that happened to them or an experience that happened mm. to them. And what we're finding with a lot of the warm data work is that actually when, when perception starts to include the, uh, the way in which so many of the processes we live within, you know, just take the institutions of school and economy and family, culture, history, um, and the ecology we live within, uh, that, that that trauma is is more likely when you can start to see this the multiple contexts that produced the event, the trauma moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a really significant beginning to there being kind of something like a new circulation in this the 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 system in in the possibility of learning to be in make sense of something in a new way and even mm-hmm. just it's like taking the tourniquet off a limb that once the the tra- the idea of trauma is not contained in the person in the event and starts to be able to be perceived through and within multiple sets of conditions through time that mm-hmm. have produced it there's a lift of possibility of where to tend it and how to tend it. And it, it changes the question entirely. Is that what you mean by trans contextuality? Those multiple sort of, you know, sets of conditions over, over time in this context that we're learning from? That's exactly what I mean by trans contextual. Yeah. And it's, it, this is a, a terminology that I got from my dad. So um, this he in, in steps to an ecology of mine. He starts off some paragraph, starting to say, "Let me coin the word transcontextual," and goes on to describe how important it is to recognize that you can get both trapped in the transcontextual and released through it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you start to recognize that uh, whatever it is you're talking about, whatever it is. Uh, he refers to a falling leaf or the greeting of a friend or a primrose by the river's brim and says, whatever it is, it's not just that and nothing more. Mm-hmm. Not just that and nothing more. And that when we start to um, look at those transcontextual processes, 
they're internal and external. So internally, there's all kinds of contexts in which some event may um, produce particular meaning or affect for you. Uh, but externally, there's all sorts of contexts that have come together to create the, the, the stimulus for whatever that event was. And so there's multiple contexts internally and externally that are producing um, both the, let's call them events, um, but also our responses to them and the way in which those events land within our experiences as individuals. So you and I, we could be walking down the street and we could, uh, we could see someone we both know on the other side of the street who could wave to us, right? And that waving is an external, um, it's an externalized communication, right? It's part of our, uh, a long culture of greeting. It's, 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 uh, you know, it, for example, when a dog comes in the room, you don't wave to the dog, right? So <laughs> wait, if this is a thing that we have developed with humans. So, so there's a lot of context around just waving to a friend, but internally that person may be somebody who is very close to you but who has betrayed me. And the fact that they're waving to both of us is something very different for you mm -hmm. than it is for me. And it may, in fact, change the way I feel about you. Right. Right? Yeah. So, so there you have kind of an example of, of a whole lot of different contexts coming together in the just the simplest nothingness of a single just waving across the street at a couple of people you know. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And um, I, I really appreciate that, uh, that illustration, because, I, you know, it's, it's something it's, it's a as a concept, it, it, you know, it's a big word. And, and there are a lot of big words when we're looking at, at systems and, and cybernetics and complexity. And, and, um, I, I, you know, you do this a number of times throughout the book, you you help to really kind of clarify and, and, and make these things very accessible. Um, there's, in fact, a, a section that I uh, appreciate. In fact, I, I wish it was longer even. Uh, practicality uh, in complexity. Um, a great, great chapter, and I, I think really important. Um, I want to uh, talk about, um, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a chapter called Framing the Symmetry. And, and even before this chapter, I was kind of picking up on a, on a theme that was, was developing. I was getting this, this sense of, of your growing concern about systems. I mean, you've been around systems your whole life. As, as you said, you've been exposed to these concepts. You write that system science is still the best option for preparing for the changes we're facing globally, but the word system itself has gathered meanings that are distracting. We make decisions that unfold into wild and unforeseen consequences. consequences. Um, you suggest we missed the pattern and, you know, when, when we, when we make these mistakes or these, um, uh, you know, in these, these unforeseen or unintended consequences occur. Um, what is it that you think that's missing from, from systems thinking and, uh, and, and, and this, and, and correct me if I, if my perception was, was wrong. I, I get the feeling that you're, you're wanting to take this in a, in a, in a slightly different or, or evolve it into, into something where it can, 
have even more impact. And so that, tell me if I'm, if I'm getting that sense from you and, and what you think is, is missing from, from systems today and where, where you'd like to, to see it go. Yeah, I think, um, I think we've kind of been dancing around this through this conversation, starting with your observation of um, my interest in generating a kind of affection for being both lost and found. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, one of the things that I think has happened with um, systemic work is that it has turned into a map. Uh, because it's been difficult to express, because all of the other contexts, okay, back to the transcontextual concept, the contexts of the cultural way of of knowing that has been produced through the academy, through um, through uh, it's the pattern of our entire Western world is this kind of grid, and the grid or the silos, um, or the, the separations, the reductionist approaches tend to lean into a more mechanistic understanding. If, if this part works and that part works and this part works and that part works, the system will function. And so often when, when you see people even illustrate a map of a system, you get them drawing these kind of blobs with identified parts in them family and then there is some another blob culture and between them there's a line and i don't have one single relationship in my life that resembles a line do you <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> no <laughs> so so what i'm concerned about is that there has been a uh, a natural and i'm you know this is not a blame game here or anything but it has been a natural extension of the existing kind of mechanistic um, blueprinting mm-hmm. to 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 begin to describe systemic process in the same sort of blueprinted engineered way, right? And remember earlier I was saying description is so important because it tells you what you're perceiving. So the relationship between perception and description is critical. And so I I feel that because it's been so difficult to get a handle on this practicality of complexity, that it has gotten flattened and it has been made into something that is not quite a machine, but Mm -hmm. it's darn close. It's kind of a 3D machine, right? It's sort of a little bit more, but what's happening? What's happening? I mean, if you were to draw out the relationships of your family, and you would, let's just think, you know, what if I asked you to draw those relationships, don't draw the people and then make lines between them. Draw the actual relationships. Mm. What would you draw? What would the texture be? What would the tone be? What would the, the rhythms and the, the, what would the, 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 consistencies be of Mm -hmm. those illustrations and now add time to that because they don't stay like that right so the the gritty difficulty you might have with one child yesterday could actually move into a a, 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 an epiphany and a, a very clear opening tomorrow right so so 
paying attention to systemic process is paying attention yeah. to relationships and and not freezing them in time and not drawing them as lines. Yeah. So I yeah. the the whole work of this is to actually be familiar and to try to increase our ability to to get it. And I don't know how you're going to get it if the relationship is aligned because that's definitely yeah. not how it is. So that's yeah. my concern is that um in an interest to make this palatable, to make it into a serious doctrine, to kind of give it the the tonality. I mean, it's 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 kind of an interesting thing to to look at from an anthropological point of view about what it tells us about how we value a particular kind of sense making that we have actually produced systemic work into the the kind of um in in the way that we have what does that say about the culture mm -hmm. what's authorized yeah yeah i um you know i i found there's a there's a I, I'm, I'm gonna read something else from the book in just a second um and and what you just said um makes me want to makes really makes me want to read it um but before i do you know just your comment around the um the lines, you know, we, we draw ourselves in, in, in maybe like a, a family tree or, um, an organizational chart or, you know, in, in my, in my other work, you know, I, I, I do a lot around, um, what does the customer look like and, uh, what's the customer journey and, and what are the things, what's the ecosystem around the, the, the customer. And, um, so we draw a lot of these lines and arrows and, and that kind of thing. So just, I had to chuckle because, um, uh, you know, just in terms of how we, how we frame that. And, and, and so this, this, this quote, complexity reaches in more directions than we might authorize in the boardroom. It, it really, you know, resonated me that, with me. That was from the, the chapter called the fortune teller. Mm. Speaking of time, you know, you mentioned time as a dimension and, and, and in that chapter, you, you talk about, um, use the term pre hindsight, which I thought was really, um, Interesting. I, I loved it. It reminded me of Richard's feed forward concept, and and which I I think I'm quite fascinated with. So just in terms of how you think about time and how do we how do we get pre hindsight and where does this sort of fit, fit into the the work that we can do, um, the work that you're doing? Um, maybe you can focus on. Oh, this is this is I love this question. Um, <laughs> I love this because it's such a mess. Okay, it's just a disastrous mess in all directions. The relationship with time and, you know, how many, how many wonderful, you know, conferences have you seen sort of advertisements for on Zoom lately around, you know, envision a better future and, mm -hmm. right, we have to create the narrative so we can live into it. And um, just all of this, this fascination with how we can control what path we are on into the future. And um, I, I just think it's really interesting. But, but one of the things that I see happening there is that there is a, um, there's a, uh, a, again, a flattening, right? Where we think, what would utopia look like? How could we create a, a future in which we'd all thrive and Everyone survives and it's all good. 
And I just, I just want to ask you if, if you were to go back in time, 10 years, and you would have projected what you wanted to see happen 10 years from then, what level of ripoff would that have been to what life has actually become? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that happens when we do these projections, these castings into the future, is that all the minute particulars, all the, the, the filigree of the crazy pathways of how one minute gets to the next and who you bumped into and who called and what came up and how this storm blew down this barn and this person showed up and that became a relationship that then that was became this and this became that and that and this and that. And so what, what happens is that there is this, this, this loss of all the second, third, fourth, fifth order relational processes. So uh, I'm all for tending to the future. But the most important thing we can do to tend to the future is to tend to the relationships we are in right now in ways that allow them to produce relationships that change the relationships that are produced from those relationships. Yeah. Right? So it's it's the the it, it's like And that's what's missing from scenario planning and all the kind of old, you know, older school you know, you know, future planning, future uh, imagining practices, um, I think is what is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And the fortune teller is is kind of as, as a chapter is kind of getting to that. It's it's that thing. Um, but this is also sort of dealing with uh, the more uh, the, the creepy kind of ways in which systems self perpetuate mm-hmm. and how difficult it is uh, in a kind of maybe even a theory of addiction to think about actually changing the way we live and um, that there's some reluctance to do that. I mean, think about, for example, how impossible it was this time last year, November last year, it's almost Thanksgiving uh, in the States. It's been Thanksgiving in Canada. It's almost Christmas. People are planning travel. Like this is the moment people are last minute booking flights and they're, they're booking Airbnbs and hotel rooms and train tickets. And to think a year later that, there, that none of that would be happening. That was an impossible idea. And it, even though all sorts of people, I remember, you know, Greta was out there saying we have to yeah. stop air travel. And she took a boat to the United States to prove it could be done. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. And the idea of changing that, you know, shifting the direction of the Titanic of air travel or, or tourism was unthinkable. Yeah. Even though. You think that. Then we just we we fail to em- embrace or consider the unimaginable in this. I mean, is that one of the 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 flaws in all our scenario mapping and and future planning? Is is we, we just focus on the utopia and and not the unimaginable or the 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 consequences we don't want to see occur? I think, in some level, it's like we just. The idea of change is really fantastic. If we could just change things in such a way that we could just keep things the same. And and that's that kind of, you know, switching one drug out for another yeah. concept. And yeah. we can have we can have the life we're living now. We just need alternative energy. And then we can have actually we can keep doing everything we're doing right now and it'll just be carbon free. Well, what is what? 
Yeah. Right. So, you know, we can't keep buying all this stuff that's made of, you know, terrible chemicals from cotton that's grown and destroying the soil and enslaved workers sewing the clothes and children digging up rare earths to make the next iPhone 16 or what it, it like this just cannot continue. Yeah. No amount of solar or wind energy is going to do us any good when the thinking, the perception, the 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 life habits that are so deeply ingrained in all these, yeah. you know, it it isn't even about the phone. Yeah. It's about it's about what the phone says about my identity when we are in relationship, right? Yeah. Like I, you know, having to go out and buy a new dress shirt before giving a talk on ecology. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember doing that one day thinking this, this is what's so surreal about where we are right now. Yeah. And, and here's us having this conversation over this technology that is, you know, is built in to its obsolescence. Um, and that that just can't continue. I mean, at a at a very deep level, I, I remember my daughter asking me this year, you know, Mama, how do I be a good person? And it's a very serious question. Yeah. And she said, you know, every single thing I do is connected to the exploitation and the destruction. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. want to be part of that exploitation and destruction. How do I be a good person? Like, how do I even begin to think of myself? As somehow, um, as somehow benevolent, yeah. And what what's the consequence of of actually abandoning that quest of thinking? Well, it's impossible. And and yeah. once you've opened that door, where does it stop? So this is sort of coming back to that that question of time and and how we're looking at time we don't have a lot of time to to change the world we're in and at the same time um things are changing in ways we don't even know so not going on that trip being home being in a different sort of relationship with your kids as they're doing their schoolwork on zoom or whatever um tending your garden uh Having to be home in a marriage that wasn't that great to begin with, and now you're together twenty four seven, right? There's people who are in their the rhythm of their lives has changed. Rhythm is time. Yeah, yeah. Rhythm is time. So yeah. in this moment, so much has changed in our relationship to time because we don't have the structures anymore that held those slots. Right when you try to remember what you did last week, it's kind of blurry, right? Because it, there there just aren't those those moments of well, on Thursday I went here, and right. on Tuesday I went there, and Wednesday and Friday I have yoga, or you know, yeah. whatever your slots are, um, they're not there. Yeah, and so there's this shift. <laughs> We've lost our frame of reference completely. Yeah, yeah. We lost. So the rhythms are changing. Yeah. But when when rhythms change, everything changes. The whole music changes. And I, I don't think we have the slightest idea yet what kind of shifts have actually already taken place. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, I, I love that, uh, you know, the, the nuggets from, from that chapter. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, how we sort of, you know, 
again, you know, your your work with with worm data. I come from a, a background um, of definitely a data background, you know, where um, we look at models and we look at the big data that you make reference to in 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 the book, and um, we 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 talk a lot about things like anomaly detection and you know things that uh, how can we how can we predict based on the patterns, and you know those patterns are are mostly rear view mirror looking right. Um, and we're saying we need to predict what's going to happen based on what's happened, that the best predictor of what will happen is is what has occurred previously. And, you know, well, yeah, I think there are ways maybe for the technology can to overcome that. For the most part, it's a flawed model. And it's definitely flawed when we start looking at at, at some of the things that, that um, you know, we're, we're, there's an element of, of complete wild unpredictability um, in in so many things, whether we're talking about the 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 pandemic or we're talking about the climate um, or any other issue for that matter, you know, it's it's not within our control. It's not it's not a model per se that uh, you know whether it's 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 Bayesian or you know Boolean logic or whatever that, that, that is going to solve that that easily. I think we're missing that the relationship aspect that that you're that you're talking about between the different nodes in our massive data sets. Um, that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, those nodes. Those, those nodes. Those darn nodes. They just keep <laughs> having dreams. <laughs> and their dreams are affecting each other's dreams. And there's yeah. never a space in the in the in the model for the uh, way absolutely. in which those impressions move i've been referring to this beautiful piece of oops that's my dog uh this beautiful piece of poetry by this woman andrea gibson and she says there's this line where she says what else could touch a screen door and taste lemonade she's talking about you know the human body the human a human being what else can touch a screen door and taste lemonade and that's where the models are going wrong. Yeah. I yeah. just want to point right that. there and say this sure. is the piece that doesn't fit anywhere because it's totally stochastic. It's completely, yeah. you know, my impressions of my, it's my lemonade. It's what screen door, it's what are the, all the things in your life that have those sorts of um Deep relational cross-referencing. And this is where the transcontextual part is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that you can change the structures of the world uh, and that then, you know, we're just going to make some climate policy and then we're going to have, everything's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. But the deeper processes there are that people's identity is their their whole way of understanding whether or not they're relevant to their world relevant like am i relevant am i lovable do you respect me am i real that has to do with producing an an image right of of being of being someone and that that someone is being assessed through all kinds of relational deep down stuff around what clothes they wear, what car they drive, what address they live in, how what school they went to, what job they have, 
how their children are healthy or unhealthy, mm -hmm. right? And and yeah. so the policies are not going to change the way people produce identity. No, you know your phrase. Uh, the the process of contextual mutual learning through interaction seems to be the answer to what your what you've been describing. That's 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 what we need. Um, as we start to wrap up here, I'd love you to spend some time on that and and this beautiful term that you come up with and and talk about at the end toward the end of the book. Okay, can you do that? Yeah, let's talk about somatosy. Simathesy, 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 simathesy. I can see that. <laughs> it's not that easy of a word to say, but that's okay. The sim comes from the Greek root together, and mathesis in Greek means to learn. So simathesy is learning together, and uh, the idea with simathesy is to is to bring into the sort of systems. Um, uh, discussion, this idea of how a system is learning to be in its world and that that process is a mutual learning process. So the, the example that I like to use as a sort of quick reference is of a, say you're walking through the forest and you come to a crooked tree and it's bent and it's gnarly and it's craggly and it's and in the same forest, there's the same kind of tree in another place, but that tree is standing straight and tall. And you could look at that craggly, crooked tree and you could say to yourself, how are we going to fix that tree? Now, that's a judgment call that isn't for another conversation. But let's just for the, for the moment say that that's what you're, you're wondering, how that tree can thrive, right? It needs to be straight and tall and thriving and healthy and but it's not it's crooked and it's gnarled and and if you look at it from that perspective you're going to see a tree that's gnarled if you start to ask yourself how is this tree learning to be in its world okay then there's a shift of focus and a shift of attention to where are the shadows falling from the other trees around it? Where does the wind blow? How is the, the soil in this spot um, filled with, with nutrients and the, the, the bacteria of the, the, that the earthworms might bring? And what is the, the way in which the birds and the humans and the, the, all the insects, um, where is the, the way the water's coming through here, right? So suddenly this tree becomes a story of stories of lots of different kinds of contextual relationships, relationships with the kids in the neighborhood, relationships with the insects, with the bacteria in the soil, with the earthworms, with the birds, with the other trees, with the cold mm -hmm. wind, right? So what you're looking at is a mutual learning the tree and all these other organisms are mutually learning to be in their world. And so it's not about fixing the tree. It's about really looking at the conditions in which that crookedness informs us. Okay. It is mm -hmm. forming in form. And so all those different relational processes between the earthworms and the 
right? Because the earthworm is yeah. also in a in a mutual learning relationship with the birds and the um, the the other plant life and the right and the the, yeah. the grandpas that are going fishing and the right the the the, yeah. the birds are also mutually learning to be in relationship with the the other trees and which tree has the berries and right and they're in relationship with the other birds and the cats in the neighborhood so there's mutual learning in all directions all these organisms are responding in time okay as time moves these relationships are shifting slowly sometimes quickly sometimes but they're mutually learning to be in their world and so then you know we can come back from that and say when we're talking about mutual learning in a somathesy it's not like all the organisms are learning the same thing but they're learning at the same time right when you and i go are, are experiencing this coronavirus we're not learning the same thing from it but we're learning at the same time we're right. responding through time to something that is occurring this this thing we were speaking of earlier this event idea um, yeah yeah. And so we're we're mutually learning to be in our world. And the question for me is, what are the transcontextual ways in which we're learning to be in our world? And that learning piece is is that open infinitive. It's an ongoing process. It's yeah. not a it's not a closed door. It's not an is. It's not yeah. stuck. It's continuing process of learning yeah. between organisms. And um, between you and me, between you and me and our microbiome, between you and me and our microbiome and our, 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 the, the journalism of our world, right? So it's yeah. all shifting in relation to it all shifting. Um, so I, yeah. I think for me, this is really important because when we look at where the issues are that are the most pernicious and stuck, they are, are not stuck. They are actually in process. They, we are learning yeah. to be in these, these crooked tree relationships um, right. with each other and the world around us. So yeah. what are the conditions in which that learning might shift? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really loved this. You know, this is the you know, penultimate chapter, I think. And um, for me, it was, it was really kind of that moment where, you know, the blind spot that you had talked about a couple of chapters before, um, I started to, to understand that, hey, I, I think this is a way that we can address the blind spot. And, and I don't know if you ever totally pinpointed exactly what the blind spot is, but I don't think it, I, I don't think we have to define it because I think it's kind of a bit of a you're probably a moving target in, and it's depends on the context. It depends on the situation. But I think that the, the, the mutual learning that you describe in somathesy is, is, is an answer is, is a, is a way it, it's, it's a way forward. Um, I really appreciated that. I'm so glad. Yeah. I, I cannot even begin to tell you how that piece along with the, you know, just that term from my dad, transcontextual, came together. And that's how warm data was born is that mm -hmm. I was trying to describe how systems learn through multiple contexts. And yeah. I realized I couldn't even like, what is the information? How do you even get that information? Yeah. 
and that I had to actually rethink what information was because if you're looking at um, at uh, let's say that earthworm's relationship, who is the earthworm to the tree? Who is the earthworm mm-hmm. to the bird? Who is the earthworm? Right, and you don't compartmentalize it. You don't do the reductive dance on it. How do you keep all of those relational shiftings mm-hmm. in one information packet? Because yeah. they have to stay, it has to be living information. So that's yeah. where warm data came in. If we need another kind of information because clearly nature yeah. Yeah. is operating with another kind of information. Yeah. The ways of knowing we've depended upon for this information have some pretty big flaws. Back to your boardroom you know, conversation or, or, or statement that you, that you made that I, that I loved. And I, I'm going to, if ever I go back to an office again, I'm going to write it on a big whiteboard, you know, so everyone can see it because it's, 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 it's a good one. Um, we're, we're, we're needing to kind of wrap up our conversation. Um, but before I let you go, um, I, I, I hope I'm not springing this on you completely, but I, I would love it if you, um, read something from the book if you if you read a little bit of the poetry i i mentioned in the in the introduction that that you've got a lot of your uh, poems throughout the book um which i loved i was sitting actually with my 17 year old daughter and her friend at the table um this is a girl who's within our bubble uh right now this other family and 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 our family um, and, uh, I was showing them your book and mm-hmm. I was like, isn't this cool? Like, look at this. Like it, there'll be a section of, of like the heavy stuff and then there'll be a, a poem and then here's a little picture. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I really appreciated that. Um, you know, the, the, the poems were, uh, lovely and meaningful, but it also, you know, I think it's a, it's a great, as you said, you were trying to, uh, provide a certain reader experience. And, and so I really appreciated that. So hopefully in the, in the time that I've been kind of yammering for the last couple of seconds, you've, you've chosen um, something that, that uh, you'd, you'd like to, to share from the book. Yeah, I have. And, and I just want to say that this shifting of textures and tonalities in the book is absolutely intentional. It's absolutely about the fact that you are complex. You are your art, you are your mind, you are the scientific calculating being, you are also tasting lemonade when you touch screen doors. So Mm -hmm. if I want to actually bring complexity to you, it better be complex. It better Mm -hmm. be in enough different ways that to meet the complexity of who you are. So this book is about love. It's about sex. It's about life it's about kids it's about death it's about sorrow it's about it's about you know ideas it's about history it's about future right so i didn't see yeah. how we could possibly talk about complexity without the complexity <laughs> yeah so exactly. i i picked out two little short pieces for you okay great um and uh the first one is i think really in keeping with everything we've talked about today and it's really short And it's called We Are Wine. And it goes, steeped in history, building a shadowy bouquet, unable to reassemble ourselves as grapes. We are wound into a richness we cannot undo. Beautiful still, and with a destiny that's vaguely related to vines, we still know 
water, and wind. We know the stories of the keepers of the casks. We know versions of civilizations that sing. There is goodness. A look to a future of solutions is a potion table of bubbling mysteries. Soaked in folded learnings, lost threads, unseen outcomes. We are not, and yet, we are grapes always. Mm. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. Thank you for reading that. Um, It's something that, that always happens is that I feel that there's this thing where we try to get the grapes out of the wine. You think you can take these systems apart, but they don't come yeah. apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is kind of taking a, a similar idea down into another set of relational processes. Uh, and, and this one um, is more intimate. It's called liminal. If you lie to me, my skin will know. I won't notice, but the undercurrents will rearrange. Minds, mouths, and limbs all clamor for ungiven providence, but each domain is somehow an empty house. We are not there. We are in the scent of a gaseous brew, forested with silence that's curating our signals. Our aggregate is musicking. If something is broken, the fixing is in the alchemy of our breath. If you are half here, I'm half there, finding you. If your glance goes blank and your hands don't seek me in your sleep, the breakfast we share might be photography. We might be unfed. Recultivating is a field of fingertips returning curious, a bodysuit of taste buds, tending to the touch of our drifting thoughts, listening to the flavor of our gestures. Meet me in our particular eternity. Hmm. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing those. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a poet. I don't know if I could ever call the little scratchings that I've been um, told to, you know, write as a poem in a workshop or something. I, I would never really uh, call them poems. So when I hear something like what you've just read, I'm, you know, I'm in awe. So um, I, I really um, loved hearing those out loud from you. So thank you very much. Thanks for indulging me on that. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, it's It's been a, a wonderful hour um, hearing you talk about small arcs of larger circles. Um, and, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's a, it's a beautiful and refreshing and important book. And I really encourage our listeners to read it. So thank you so much, Nora, for joining me today. Thank you. It was really a pleasure to be here. This is Kevin Lindsay. You've been listening to my conversation with Nora Bateson on the New Books in Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel. Thanks for tuning in.